Hello and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast full of tips, tricks, and interviews with experts to help you enjoy being a supervisor. Here's your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me. We are going to be talking today with Dr. Lauren Pasqua. Dr. Pasqua is a licensed psychologist who is the executive director and founder of her own company, Connections Child and Family Center. This is a growing practice with postdoctoral residents, practicum students, and with a specialty in doing assessment. And I am super excited to have you here today talking about assessment with us. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So here's my guest question for today. When you attend a potluck dinner or buffet, what items do you gravitate toward? Oh, I love appetizers for sure. So all the dips and the snacks, all the umami tastes, those are my favorite. Yes. And I love that there are lots of little bites. So you get just an, an offering of everything. It's not like you're committing to one big serving of something. Totally. Yeah. The problem is I, I usually overdo it and then I don't, I'm not as hungry for everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, let's talk about assessment. How did you get to a place where you wanted your practice to have an assessment tracker and assessment focus? So um, assessment was a very heavy part of my, of my graduate training. Um, my training program emphasized um, psychological testing quite a bit. I did quite a bit of psychological testing during my um, practicums and then also for my internship and my fellowship. Um, and I have developed some specialty niches within that because I'm an early childhood specialist um, and autism a specialist. And so I've always known that I loved assessment and I loved therapy. So when I grew my private practice, it was natural that I would be, you know, offering both services. Um, and then as I've grown and grown my team and, and developed into a larger group practice, um, it's just expanded from there. Um, actually, what a lot of people who join us have to say is that they, they are drawn by the fact that in our setting, they have the opportunity to do both. Nice. Yeah, I love that. And I think that when people have spent a lot of time in their undergrad, or not undergrad, their graduate work, um, building those assessment skills, it becomes mm -hmm. so it becomes like second nature to what you're doing. My yeah. my graduate work definitely had an assessment focus. And of course, you know, when you're getting ready to go on to internship, they want you to have assessments and stuff. But I definitely spent way more time inside of the clinical track. So it's like, I know how to do this, but it's not that second nature in the same way that I'm sure it is for you. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very passionate about assessment. And I think it's such a wonderful way to get really clear on what the treatment should be. Yes. Um, yes. I love that. Every time uh, I, I have clientele that I know I'm missing something, there are a couple of other psychologists in the area that I like tap in to say like, I need more clarity because I want to do this well yeah. with this client, but I know I'm missing something that assessment would give me and that I can't suss out on my own or, or the client doesn't have the, the words to communicate what we're missing here. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially with children and adolescents, which is my specialty. Um, there can be so many variables that affect, you know, their functioning, their mood, their family system. And, and without getting all those other pieces, sometimes I think, like you said, it's easy to miss. Yeah, absolutely. 
So talk to us more about what, how, how you set up your practice how, to allow for both of those factors, the uh, clinical side or the therapy side, not clinical, the therapy side and the assessment side. So when people contact us, often they are contacting us for one or the other. Um, so lots of people are already know that they are seeking out an evaluation. They may have been referred by a previous, another professional, like a, a physician or a, um, a school professional, or maybe another therapist even. Or maybe they have their questions of their own and that they feel like they really want to get clear on or get an answer to. Uh, so those people for sure are coming to us directly for our testing, and we already know that. They're getting funneled right in for an intake that's assessment-focused and moving towards that process. Um, some people within our practice actually begin the therapy process with one of our clinicians, and then through the course of, of doing that work, they also have that similar feeling that you described of like, ah, something's missing, or I'm picking up on something that, you know, I, I think I need to get more clear on. And they were for internally uh, for for that evaluation to be completed by another clinician. Yeah. So when when clients come through, they kind of go one of the two paths or maybe get referred back and forth on those paths. What are you doing on the back end, the training end for your supervisees to help them kind of navigate those two systems in your practice? Um, I'm not sure I quite understand what your what your what your what your question is, but in terms of like how I structure there are postdoctoral training program, I can really speak to that if yeah. that will maybe help you. Okay. Um, so when we take postdoctoral fellows, we have we're, each year we're getting better and better and more structured as we're moving towards that. Um, APIC accreditation or, or at least similar to what an APIC site would um, entail. So we, ha we have a didactic uh, hour and then the beginning, the first half of the year, it's very assessment heavy. So we're really working a lot on um, making sure that they, that each of the, the clinicians has very strong understanding of a variety of different assessment measures. They can use those skills to answer different kinds of assessment questions that they're thinking through what questions need to be answered and what measures they would need to incorporate to answer that question most thoroughly. Um, so that's a big part of the first half of the year. We also have them shadow assessment focused intakes nice. for, yeah. So that the lead clinician or the lead psychologist is um, for the first you know, few at least kind of driving the conversation using our kind of assessment framework and they're kind of getting the sense of what types of questions we would be asking, how we would be clarifying what the questions the family wants answered are, and how to develop the questions that will guide that assessment process. Um, so that's a piece that I think is really cool and unique. And then over time, they would begin taking over the intakes as insurance allowed um, and being able to do their own question gathering while the lead clinician is observing. Nice. And then the, the final process would be just kind of independently doing those intakes without uh, a shadow, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of our initial process with the intakes. And similarly, we're doing that same kind of process of the, sh of the shadowing by, you know, one and then the other direction uh, for the first few evaluations, just so that we can all be sure that we feel confident in their assessment and um, administration skills. Yeah. I know that one follow-up question is always going to be, how do clients feel having somebody shadow, having somebody, having a, a, a postdoctoral resident do the thing, but having somebody shadow them? How do they feel during that process? 
Well, I can't speak to exactly how they feel, but I can tell you that the feedback we usually get is positive. I think a lot of it is how you set it up on the front end. Um, so we definitely have our client care coordinator, you know, shares that we are a training clinic, that we're training postdoctoral fellows um, or practicum students, and that would the family feel comfortable having, you know, that person shadow or participate in the evaluation? I've only had maybe one or two people say they wouldn't be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think when you prep people ahead of time, they're pretty open. Um, and then he also was a, been kind of trained to talk about how you're getting kind of a twofer. You're getting the brain of not only the lead clinician or the psychologist, you're also getting the brain of the postdoctoral fellow, all of their knowledge and experience. And then we've taken it even a step further than that. Um, we are really presenting now that we have an assessment team and we meet weekly for case consultation and talk about all of our cases and everybody brings cases that they have questions about. So they're getting the brain really of an entire group of psychologists, which I think elevates our evaluations to a really fantastic level. Absolutely. And I want to echo that part about kind of creating this framework of being a uh, of a teaching practice that this is a mm -hmm. this is a rhythm of what we do and when we normalize it for ourselves and we're unapologetic about it ourselves it does come yeah. across really easily to our clients I'm I'm with you in the same boat of I have students who sit in with me or supervisees who sit in with me for therapy or different kinds of things and in that process I hardly ever get any like pushback from clients because they're like, oh, yeah, you told me up front that this was this was potentially going to happen or this does happen. So, yeah, of course they can come in or, or what what have you. And even the times where I've had somebody kind of push back, you know, I don't try and convince anybody where I'm happy to like not do that piece if, if that's what's needed. Um, yeah. But I often will have a, a conversation with them about, you know, like what was it that you didn't feel comfortable with? And usually it's just like, well, it was just a new person. And it wasn't even that they were a student or a supervisee or like we're evaluating them or anything. It was just like, oh, it was just a, a new person and I was a little nervous. So, but now that I'm over it, like, yeah, sure, they can come in and it's not a big deal. And it's just, it's amazing how much when we have that confidence about this is why this is important and this is what we're doing and this is what you're getting out of it, that clients really do just kind of glom onto that and go, okay, sounds like that's what we're doing. Let's go. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Recently, the only time I had a parent who asked, well, don't you think that would make the kid uncomfortable if, you know, having multiple individuals in the room? And I had to say, actually, I don't find that they, that it's, they're uncomfortable. In fact, they really like all the personal attention. Um, and parent, the parent was like, oh, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. And I think that especially for assessment stuff, I think um, you we we do need someone helping us watch for our, our kind of blind spots as we're doing assessment to make sure that we're doing it to fidelity, to watch for those things that we, especially as we're in training, you know, are practicing doing still, yeah. um, that we don't have that muscle memory, you don't have that, all those other pieces that we're able to see some of that element. And I love the idea of them watching somebody else who is working through the problem, right? I almost think of assessments kind of like a Rubik's cube of like, every time something happens and changes, we're having to be a part of that process to figure it out. So a, a supervisee watching this person do that figuring out, right? And then going to those meetings and wrestling through all the questions and then the switching positions to where they're figuring it out and someone else is able to say, oh yeah, well, don't forget this. And here's where something else has come in. And what other questions could you ask to get to the response that you're needing here? Uh, just gives such a breadth of 
training and opportunity for them to really master this skill because I think it is it's it's a really important skill for getting that clarification of diagnosis and treatment planning and support for whoever's getting the evaluation done. I, I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When you talked a little bit earlier about figuring out which assessments you're you're going to have them do, do you have specific like batteries that you have kind of set up for them to do? Or it sounded almost like you let them figure out what the referral question is and, and wrestle with what assessments would answer that question. Yeah, so we, we typically for children and teens, um, most of the time, unless there's a reason not to, we include fairly consistent elements. So evaluating intellectual functioning, um, evaluating um, some executive functioning skills, uh, adding in the parent and teacher report of, of, you know, what their experiences are in those environments of emotions and behaviors. And then from there, we might personalize some of the other aspects, depending on what the question is we're trying to answer. So we get a lot of autism evaluations. So then we're going to be adding in autism-specific measures that we may not give each person. Or we may be adding in some educational assessment measures to try to target if they're a learning issue or disability. Um, Other kinds of targeted uh, rating forms for like trauma or um, eating disorders or um, OCD, those kinds of things that wouldn't necessarily be needed for every referral question. Yeah, I love that. When when I remember some of my best assessment training from my graduate school and from my internships and stuff, I remember there being such a huge difference between the places that had very cooker cut, cookie cutter kind of this is what we do and places that were like, well, what assessments that we know of would answer this question, right? And finding that blend of like, here's the baseline of where we're, we're wanting to evaluate at this piece, but then as we get information, what other stuff do we need to add to get to where we're going? I think exactly. Yeah, I think really targeting the evaluation, um, it helps in terms of time efficiency and um, financial efficiency for the family, instead of just like, let's just throw the whole, you know, book at you and give you everything we can think of, really trying to find, you know, fine tune what's going to get us there in the fastest amount of time and with the, with the least complications. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of financial stuff, we had chatted a little bit earlier before the, um, before the interview about my observations of insurance companies not wanting to reimburse and things having to go to private pay and that it's been really complicated for me in my practice to try and add in assessment or evaluation kind of pieces. And your response to that was like, wow, that is not my experience. I <laughs> want to know more about your how you navigate uh, payment insurance. And you don't have to give details of like your costs or anything. But um, sure. but yeah, how do you how do you see that working in, in your practice? So I think broadly, there is some truth to what you said in that insurance companies, particularly we primarily work with major commercial commercial insurance. So we're, that's what I'm referring to when I speak mm-hmm. of insurance companies. Um, over the time, over the years, have I think become less uh, willing to pay for a very broad, very detailed, um, time-intensive evaluation. They typically like have a kind of a cap on the number of evaluations per year and the number of hours per evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't run into too many companies that actually are requiring pre-authorization. They have stopped doing that to some degree, although with the new incoming recession issues that may, you know, pick up again. 
Um, but just kind of trying to stay within that limit of what we know is typically covered for each referral question by each particular insurance company helps us um, to, to bill and get paid consistently for the work that we're doing. Um, I think also the field is moving quite a bit, partially driven by these these financial issues to kind of more of a technician model of uh, having technicians who are well-trained do the administrative piece, administering, scoring, maybe a little data entry of tables, um, and then having, you know, the thinking codes, the thinking work be done by a more advanced um, psychologist. Right. So that's part of our model. Um, and I think where we're going to be moving to more to make the whole, uh, the whole thing more financially feasible. Um, Although insurance doesn't reimburse as highly as, you know, per code as high as they do for therapy, when we look at efficiency of office space use, Mm. it actually makes a lot of sense because Mm. most of our therapy clients, you know, particularly for kids, they want to come after school. And so a lot of those morning hours are not being utilized, even though we're paying for the space and we have all the overhead. So having our clinicians utilize the space to do evaluations during the day is helping us maximize our efficiency of office space, our efficiency of overhead. Everybody gets more of a balanced schedule because they have some times where they're seeing clients in the daytime and they don't have to do all evening. Yeah, yeah, that is huge, especially for a practice that is so based on children and adolescents. Yeah, I would find that it would be difficult to fill those spaces during the day, but to have assessment where you're doing the writing portions of it, or even that you are, you know, it's a different thing to pull a child out of school for a day of assessment versus every week at 10 a.m., right? Yeah, and most people are very amenable to that one time, maybe two time um, school miss with a, a, you know, we give an excuse so that it's excused by the school. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of put it, like you said, like earlier, we just frame it up like this is when we have availability for testing. Yep. Yep. And, and realistically, I feel like from the, from the perspective of the kiddo, like that is probably when we're also going to get our best results rather than all day at school. And then they show up at your clinic to try and brain a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And I think parents, when you explain that they're kind of agreeable, like you're right, they're not going to be their best on their best game if they come at 3 p.m. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When you were figuring out that process with insurance on um, on how many how many hours or how many of these codes or those pieces, was that a trial and error process? Was there any uh, way to make that easier for folks? Yeah. So some of it was trial and error. And then some of it was consultation with other professionals that, you know, specialize in doing evaluations. I'm going to give a little plug here to Jeremy Sharp and the testing psychologist. Um, did do a mastermind with with him and some other lovely clinicians, um, did some consultation with some other folks who really had already integrated evaluations into their group practice. And those were all really helpful. Yeah, I love that. I love the testing psychologist. I am on their Facebook group and just <laughs> gather so much good information from the people in there. It's amazing. Yeah, I think we have to just learn from each other and, you know, and see what works and what doesn't. To some degree, it is a little trial and error. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people, as they're getting started into having supervisees, especially if they're thinking they're going to add them into maybe their own already testing-focused practice, is like, how how much am I going to have to uh, to gamble with 
um, on this trial and error process of what can be billed and what can't be billed and how much can we charge. And um, it's I it's a good reminder that there are people out there who have already done this that you can you know pay a, a, in a quick consultation fee or sometimes they're really generous and and give some of that information away for free. Um, but um, to really remember to to connect out that we don't have to remake this on your own. Absolutely, yeah. I think that in general, as a field, we really need to work together to continue the success of our um, our practice and our profession. Yeah, yeah. Especially when we're talking about insurance stuff, I feel like there is there is a lot of trial and error with that process. There's a lot of information yeah. that the insurance company won't give you, so you do just have to figure some stuff out. And if you can work together and gather the information that makes you feel comfortable. I'm a pretty um, risk averse person. So until I hear something from like an official source, I always take it with a little bit of salt on whether or not that's a thing I can do. But I do feel like if I know the right wording or if I know the right terminology or if I know the right question to ask, that makes my life easier when I go to get that from that official source. When I try and come up with it in my own language, a lot of times I feel like I get um, not turned down by the insurance company, but the insurance company's like, what do you... I don't understand what you're asking for. And then I get stuck, right? So right. crowdsourcing some of that information to be able to make sure that I feel really confident uh, before I ask the insurance company or move forward, I feel like is is one of the really huge benefits of those Facebook groups or those, those uh, community resources. 100%, yeah. Yeah. So we, when we were talking a little bit about the insurance part, um, another question that comes up every time somebody talks about insurance and people who are pre-licensed is how can I bill for that? What does that look like? And I tell people all the time that every state is different. Every mm -hmm. insurance company is different. So never take anybody's like global truth to be your global truth until you've checked on it yourself. But Absolutely. for you in uh, Texas, right? Yes, Texas. Yes. Uh, for you in Texas at your practice with what you know, how did you go about figuring out what you could bill insurance for and what you couldn't when it talk when it we're talking about pre-licensed folks? Sure. So most almost every commercial insurance company has technician codes that are uh, for testing, administration, and scoring um, that is done by a trained a, tra a trained technician. Yeah. So that for sure, without you know even going any further. The majority of your insurance contracts probably would cover um, trainees to do that aspect of the evaluation process without you even being in the room. Being accessible, of course, but not even having to be in the room. So that's nice, just knowing that. Um, beyond that, we have had some success getting a couple of insurance contracts that allow for supervisory billing. And that would that does expand the opportunity for our trainees to be able to do more of the intake and feedback components of their evaluations as well. Um, so that's been really wonderful. And, and the report writing and just kind of seeing the whole thing through from start to finish. So that's actually been really wonderful too. So they get kind of a blend of just doing a lot, you know, more of the administration and scoring components um, while the licensed psychologist completes the, the write-ups and the data, and then they get the, the full you know, spectrum with some other insurance plans. And what a good reminder for everybody who's listening that, that 
in the world of the therapy codes, we don't have that same kind of thing where you can just have a technician do part of it. Um, but in the assessment world, in the evaluation part of it, there is already that built-in system mm -hmm. where a technician does certain things and then the psychologist does the rest of them. Um, and and then in addition to that, you've got the supervisory billing aspect for some insurance companies um, as you do the research to add that onto your practice. <laughs> Exactly. Because uh, I do think that, you know, when we when we really pushed for this parity inside of the medical world, there were some parts of it that were hugely beneficial to us. And I think this is one of them where where the medical world has a model where mm -hmm. people where people that are at different levels of training can do certain things for the doctor and then the doctor can just approve and do those pieces all without the term supervisory billing because it is just built into how they scope their treatment and do those different levels and assessment for us really offers that opportunity in in that same way do yes. you do any type of training that is different based on the fact that they are doing this as a technician versus as a um as a, instead of being the supervisory billing or the incident to billing part of it, or do you kind of just level out that training of like, this is just how we do what we do here? When I'm conveying it to, to other people, when I'm conveying it, to is that the, what you mean? To the like postdoctoral residents or to the supervisees? Uh, so they're aware of the difference, you know, what their role is with different insurance plans. Um, and so it's pretty clear to them, you know, what role they're going to take on a case. If, if that makes yeah, sense. And, yeah. and we have it kind of laid out in our policies, you know, here's how we do um, billing and assessments for this insurance company. And here's how we do it for this insurance company. And here's kind of what part you're going to play and when you're going to, you know, hand it on over to your uh, supervisor, et cetera. So I think just having that really organized and cl clarified at the get-go helps a lot. Yeah. Um, having, we have a testing manual that we have all these kinds of information um, placed in as far as even down to, you know, how you administer different tests and what tests you might consider for different kinds of problems. Having that structure is really helpful. Again, I'll plug testing psychologists. I did get a good framework for that from purchasing his, um, one of his uh, kits. So. Awesome. And I, and I'm so grateful that, that you spoke to that level of like being organized for mm -hmm. this process, because I think that one of the pieces that I wrestle with all the time when I'm consulting with people as they're adding supervisees into their practice is saying like, you need to manualize everything and everything you think you, you've explained well enough, like explain it more in your manual so that people can go back to that same place, understanding the element of, you know, with some insurance companies, you are going to be at this level of um, of navigating these assessments. And with some insurance companies, you can do at this level. And during our process here, we're going to have you do a lot of shadowing and a lot of this level. And then towards the mid end of our time together, we're going to switch you and have you do more of this level and more in this way. That when people know the trajectory, when our students, our supervisees know the trajectory of where they're going to go and have a place to go back to to understand those pieces, I think that they, they get just a better... Um, a better sense of the industry, number one, but they get a nice uh, calm of being like, I am taken care of here. I don't have to swim this alone. I don't have mm -hmm. to figure this all out on my own. Um, I'm not just bouncing around to a million things. And, and I think that that is really important, especially when they have been 
kind of structured all the way through grad school. And then sometimes I feel like they sometimes they often get like dumped into a role where it's like, oh, now you're you're a psychologist resident. You can do it. It's fine. <laughs> and then they, they they don't know what they're doing. And then all that imposter syndrome sneaks in, yeah. which we all have in our own way anyway. But I love this idea of like you're you're giving them enough to to really get grounded in and they're having to wrestle with and learn as they grow because that's another part of being a psychologist is that you're always wrestling with stuff and learning stuff and figuring out new ways to make it happen. Absolutely. And assessment I think is especially true because it's it is sort of like every time a new puzzle that you're trying to find the pieces and put them together to make a whole. Um, yeah. But I love that you know it's always different and interesting and exciting. Yeah, absolutely. If you were going to give a piece of advice to folks who are um, thinking about adding assessment or evaluations into their practice, what would be a piece of advice? I think a good place to start is considering what your assessment strengths are, what kind of evaluations you feel really confident doing, and then going from there. So maybe start with one kind of evaluation. You know, if say you really love to do ADHD, you feel really confident that you can assess for that. I would start there by the measures that you need to, to answer that kind of question um, that's within your scope and then kind of expand as you feel confident and you get some some experience and some success. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is uh, not what I did in my practice and <laughs> co- totally would have helped me <laughs> to be a little bit better at that. I think I went broad at the beginning and then had to tailor back down. And now we only do uh, two different types of assessments right now. And we'll build onto that as that program grows. Um, I also think that it is interesting um, thinking about size, right? When we're talking about how big your practice is and what you're growing into and and what you can handle in that process. Uh, Because when you add on, obviously, another employee or a postdoctoral resident or those pieces, you now have businessy decisions to make of of your employees and that process. But there's also other things that come into play for um, navigating new referral sources and navigating different calls that come in and uh, trying to... uh, I use the terminology of like wearing different hats a lot for like this is my supervisor hat versus my boss hat versus other things. And, um, and I think about those times where I've been on our referral, you know, network and saying like somebody calls in and says they want an evaluation and it's not one of my current two that my clinician hat pops in is like, Ooh, that sounds interesting. Like how can we make that happen? And I have to like quickly replace with my boss hat and be like, no, we only do these two right now. Don't take that one. Give it to somebody that, you know, does a great job at those. But having that balance, right, of teaching our clinicians to have that balance of sticking with your strengths for a while, building that really strong support and reserve, and then moving forward when you when you start noticing that you're you're ready for another layer as you're adding things in. Yeah. And for us, I think I'm considering now at the size we are that, you know, what what a type of clinician or psychologist would be a good addition to our team so we can expand, you know, our offerings and what, what our specialties are, as well as what we're training our, our, our supervisees in. 
Um, do we need to add someone who is really has more experience doing um, projective measures and ruling out psychotic disorders? Or do we need to add another school psychologist who's really well-versed in educational evaluations? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I am now in the growth of my practice as we've kind of really stabilized our assessment and training program. Yeah, that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit more about your practice, like how you've got it structured with like how many clinicians you have, how many assessment groups, those types of things? Yeah, so um, my practice is actually multidisciplinary. So we don't just have psychologists. Um, We have master's level clinicians of all types. So LCSW, LMFT, LPC. We're very family focused. So not only do we see children and adolescents, but we also serve couples, families, women, parents, um, kind of the gamut. And um, all of our clinicians do have their own unique specialties and what kinds of, and the kinds of uh, cases they prefer therapeutically, you know, I'm, I'm referring to. Um, and additionally, we're kind of developing some specialty programs. We already have launched a comprehensive DBT program. We're intensively trained. Yeah. And we're working on um, an eating disorders program. Um, next, I think, will probably be a more robust anxiety and OCD treatment program. As we can see, you know, that's really coming into play now post-pandemic. So that's kind of our our practice as a whole. We're very family-focused, relationship-focused, evidence-based treatment is a big um, characteristic of of what's important to us. And for assessments in particular, we do actually assess the lifespan, but for adults, we're really focusing more on uh, ruling out ADHD and autism. But alongside that, we have discovered that ends up looking like ruling out a lot of other things that look like. So trauma, personality disorders, um, even psychosis, you know, all these other things. So that's where I say, like, I'm looking now at who else can we bring in that's going to be able to augment our, our expertise and really help us provide a more robust evaluation. Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you for that kind of the structure of your program, because I do think that sometimes people, when they hear some of these interviews, they're just like, yeah, but, d- you know, how would this work for me? And I think sometimes getting that broader picture helps us to say like, ah, this is where this would fit in for me, or this is where I see them growing and, and where I could potentially do something. So that's awesome. Well, what else would you like to tell us about your practice or your world or any any of your programs and things that you'd like to plug um, yeah. before we wrap up? Well, I would say what I'd like to plug because it's related to this topic is kind of what I've been sharing in that we are um, looking and hoping to bring in clinicians that or licensed psychologists in particular that have different assessment and therapy specialties that would kind of fit nicely with what we're doing and who actually have a passion and a desire to grow in their training and supervision because um, we are you know, growing our supervision and training program. We already have a practicum student and hoping, you know, in the future, maybe to even uh, grow into the internship realm, which is its own beast. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Having, having somebody who wants to come in and be a part of growth is, is what you're looking for that like is going to help. Yeah. I love that. Well, if you are out there and you heard this and you're ready to be a part of a a wonderful program in Texas, you feel free to give us a holler and we will connect you um, with Dr. (laughs) Pasqua because I think that that is amazing that you are doing the growth and everything out there. So um, so we are going to post your link at the bottom of our show notes. Um, Do you guys do any social media or anything that you want posted there as well? We have Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And where can we find you at those? What's the, the handle? 
handle is uh, CCFC. Pretty sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, I will make sure to double check and put the right one on there for everybody. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I feel like I learned a lot. You helped me refocus back to some awesome. of the passionate pieces about assessment and evaluation. So it's been wonderful. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed our conversation as well. It's been really cool. Great. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. What an amazing episode. I feel like I learned so much. I've got three takeaways for you today. First one is prepping clients is key. While most clients appreciate the training clinic experience, it's important to prep them ahead of time by informing clients that trainees will be involved in the evaluation process. They're much more likely to be open-minded and receptive to the benefits of having a team of experts work on their assessment. So brainstorm two to three ways this or this, you know, right now as you are thinking about assessment uh, to, to figure out how you can alert clients to the role of trainees in your practice and support them in stepping confidently into these conversations with clients. The second is collaboration enhances the evaluation quality. One of the great advantages of having a training clinic is the opportunity for trainees to work closely with experienced clinicians. Through weekly case consultations and shadowing experiences, trainees gain invaluable supervision and learn to identify blind spots, ultimately improving the accuracy and thoroughness of evaluations. Consider how you'll incorporate trainee feedback into your decision-making process and, how you're determ and determine how your trainee feedback will be collected. The last one is to understand the insurance process. Dealing with insurance companies can be challenging. And some of you may or may not work with insurance companies, and that's totally fine. But if you do, familiarize yourself with the insurance terminology and ask the right questions. Consider crowdsourcing some information and uh, from reliable sources and stay up to date with the latest billing practices. This week, schedule some time to connect with other practice owners to discuss common issues and wins with insurance building over coffee um, or some other drink, of course. Um, I don't actually drink coffee um, and you may end up learning a lot from each other. This has been Supervision Smorgasbord with Dr. Tara Sanderson. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us at drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast and on all social media at Dr. Tara Sanderson. Thank you, and we will see you next time.